hello again everybody, uh, Martin Keenan here and it's another podcast from the IPS conference and this time I'm delighted to have Dr John Otter with us who's from Garden St Thomas's and today he's been talking about surgical site infection and particularly focusing on surveillance and why that's important and should we have better and broader surgical site infection surveillance and uh, welcome John, thanks for agreeing to talk to me. No worries. I mean, should I put the kettle on? No, I think probably a beer would be a better idea, but that'll be in about 20 minutes' time. Um, so, first question I actually wanted to answer is, to whom does surgical site infection rates actually matter? Is it only infection prevention people who are actually interested in this? Because surgeons don't seem to be too bothered. They think they have no infections. Managers aren't interested. I've never had a manager say to me, what's our SSI rate? Commissioners who buy the service and pay for the, the procedure don't ever seem to ask about the quality of it and is there an infection rate. Yeah. So who's, who's bothered? It's actually, is it just us that gets you know, in, engaged in this? So think? speaking, thinking aspirationally, surgical site infection should be an absolutely key critical safety indicator for the whole organisation. Mm. It should be up on whatever executive dashboard you've got to say we're doing really well or we've got a problem here. And in order to, to do that properly, we need to have visibility of every surgical site infection that happens. And in order to do that, we need to have robust and comprehensive surveillance of all knife-to-skin procedure. And the truth is, certainly in this country, I don't have so much of a global perspective on this, but in this country, we're, we're a long way from that. Yeah, I mean, we think that, but how do we convince managers that they should stick this on their dashboard? Because might there be a view, or actually, if we start looking at that, we're going to see there's a problem and we're going to have to do something about it and it might cost us some money or we might have to invest in resources because as you highlighted beautifully today you need resource to be able to do surveillance and that's one of the biggest problems isn't it yeah yeah well, i think we've got to make a case for surgical infection at a at an organizational level for it to be taken seriously mm. and and to do that we need to understand what impact it has um and we can look at things like patient experience which i think is is uh, should be a key performance indicator. Yeah, I mean, I heard you talking about qualitative research today. I know, <laughs> isn't that funny? It's good, though. Mm -hmm. That Judith Tanner study it from 2012 good. in JRP, yep. everyone listening should read it, and I challenge you to read that paper and not come away emotionally touched by yep. it and thinking, goodness me, we've got to do more to protect these patients. And then you've got the financial costs, pounds and pence. Yep. So the CFO should be getting interested, and I think we can really uh, illustrate quite... Uh, convincingly that SSI is really expensive yeah. if we get it wrong. I mean, we can pull that out of studies. How can we show that locally? We don't have the surveillance, so we can't say there are these numbers infections. Yeah. Is there any way we might be able to provide more local data? Because nothing matters unless it's personal, I always find. Yeah. So if you can actually yeah. say, in your hospital, you are saving this, you yeah. know, spending this amount of money. Is yeah. there any way of doing that? Do yeah, think? there is a way. It's a bit technical. There's a nice uh, study, a system in the NHS that looks at the cost of every patient care episode. And some work that was done and published in JHI a few years ago did that with surgical side infection and showed that, on average, patients who had a surgical side infection cost £5,000 more to the organisation mm. in NHS currency than did a patient that didn't, a matched patient that didn't have a surgical side infection. So I think we can do it, but do we want to do that every time? No, it's a bit complicated. Mm. I think we go to the literature. And there may be other um, outcomes of surgical side infection that are even more impactful for, for an organisation. So if we look at the reputation of the organisation, and particularly in an era of patient choice, 
if we we we, re we recognize and we find that we've got high rates of SSI in a particular category, patients will go elsewhere. And yeah. then you'll lose your commissioning for that particular procedure. And that would be a disaster for the organization. Have we got evidence patients will go out elsewhere? I mean, in the NHS, you go to the hospital your GP sends you to, and we don't seem to get so much choice. I know there was a theoretical choice in the UK a few years ago, and in many other countries, you do have a choice, of course. But uh, do, would, do you think patient choice really impacts on surgical side infection? Good question. I don't, I don't know what the evidence says. I mean, certainly in my, in my circle of friends and family, people choose their NHS hospitals based on outcomes. Mm -hmm. uh, so it does happen. Mm. Whether it happens widely enough for it to really make an impact, yeah. I'm not sure. But I mean, if you have a major surgical site infection um, issue and a service is shut down, then clearly that's a problem. Yeah, that definitely is a problem because that will definitely focus minds if you're going to lose all your surgery. I mean, so, so to me, we're a bit catch-22. We don't have data, which means we can't show the extent of the problem which means we can't show how much it costs, which means it's very difficult to construct a business case. Yeah. So is there a way of getting data that that's, doesn't cost you so much money up front just to start to prove a principle so that you can actually start the ball rolling, really, and start flagging it up with people higher up in the organisation who really, as you say, it should be on their dashboard anyway? Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think there is a lot we can do with a small amount of resource. Hmm. So if we can allocate some time from infection control experts to work with a particular high-impact surgical category and try and make the case to them that SSI is a big issue. We don't have good visibility of, of infection rates. We could have a problem we don't know about. Mm. And you know that's a problem because of cost, because of patient experience, because of reputation, because of driving antimicrobial resistance. We can make that case just in that specialty. Then without additional resource, I think we can probably work with them to embed surveillance a form of surveillance within the surgical pathway. Mm -hmm. So that as the clinicians are going through their routine care of the patient, they're saying, how is the wound looking? Let's record that wound on a, uh, in, in a structured way. Yeah. And at least detect the, the SSIs that happen within patients and readmissions. But that's the problem, isn't it? People are gone so quickly. I mean, when I yeah. was a lad, as an yeah. orthopedic nurse, you were in for two weeks after your hip replacement, yeah. now you're in for two days. Yeah. So is there is readmissions really because that's going to be the most costly aspect of it i know yeah. it's yeah. a pest if you go home and you get a small wound infection and your gp treats it and the yeah. hospital never hear about that yeah but actually it's the readmissions that cost you the money so yeah. can you should you think about picking a surgical category where there seems to be quite a high readmission rate and then yeah. go on go to town on that one yeah bit? so i something like cardiothoracic surgery or mm. vascular surgery big major procedures where mm. um it's not uncommon for a patient to come back and the services know them well and they you know they'll treat them they'll they'll care for them and they'll treat the infection mm. but they're just not recording it systematically okay so i think there's a big win um in those kind of areas of just working with with clinical teams getting engagement from from enthusiasts on on you know on, the, on their side of the fence of the people doing the doing um with limited resource from an infection control point of view i think we can generate some um initial data and evidence to say yeah we can actually establish an SSI rate but that's the start yeah and to actually make that mean something you then have to plan some interventions do yeah. the interventions and bring that rate down yeah and when you can do that then hey presto you can then attract some more internal funding. funnily enough you, you're saying finding other enthusiastic people many years ago um, my team felt we were seeing breast infections Right. Uh, and we didn't have great data. Um, but what we did have were breast care nurses who saw every single patient at 10 days post-op. Right. And they were enthused. So we then got 
quite good data because they were looking at every single wound. So yeah. we knew how many cases we were getting. Yeah. We knew what was happening with them pretty much yeah. um, because they were all coming back. And we were able to give the breast surgeons some very good data. And the infection rate was something like 19%. It was quite big. 19%? 19%, rest- yeah. yeah. I mean, a lot of them were seromas and things like that, but it yeah. was big. Yeah. Uh, so we, you know, they, they got a little bit interested. They got the usual denial and bargaining and it's, yeah, it's yeah, everybody the, else. The, well, we collected in, of- yeah, we, we got enough data to be able to convince them that, okay, there might be something going on here. And it turned out that there, there has such a huge variation in skin prep Right, and so they decided as a group to standardise on what was uh, licensed product, you know, alcoholic chlorhexidine. Yeah, and their rate dropped dramatically. Yeah, and interestingly, they then started to talk to the colorectal surgeons at surgical audit meetings, and they started to get interested. Then, so they come knocking on the door, and we have colorectal nurses who follow everybody up. Right. So you can you use a little chink, and you almost get the outlier to actually talk to his chums. Yeah, and I found that quite useful yeah that's that's great although it's playing around the edges it is because the real issue is if we are going to get the breadth of SSI surveillance that we need and I think that should be of every procedure that we do every surgical procedure that we do let's aspire to that then it needs to be resourced it does there's only so much we can do with the existing resource yeah and that requires us to make a, a really convincing case a watertight case based on improving quality of care primarily yeah with a financial kind of subplot that we can we can reduce costs as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't remember who it was now. Many years ago, uh, somebody managed to prove that they could reduce infection in a particular group, and they got the organisation to fund a team of healthcare assistants who were actually bringing every patient up post-surgery right. and asking the same sort of questions, and they got really quite good data, and yep. they demonstrated a complete saving of all the staff costs plus on top of it, but I really can't remember who it was now. But it's it, it's it, if you can convince people, then they will run with you. Yeah. The, the other problem is then is um, managers in many hospitals change very frequently, and then you've got to try and make the argument again because they will yeah. then think, actually, these numbers don't look very big. Maybe we can stop the surveillance. Yeah. And then yeah, you're going to have a problem again. Back to square one. You you mentioned automated surveillance, John. Yeah. So is is that a goer? Do you think you know it, how well do they work? Yeah. Are they robust and are they relatively cost effective, would you say? Yeah, yes, to all of those. It's a, it's a really exciting area, actually. Mm. Uh, one that I think would transform our practice across the board. Because once we've got electronic notes as standard across our healthcare providers, I think that will come in over the next 10, 15 years. Mm-hmm. Pre- I think pretty much everyone will have electronic notes and that makes this kind of surveillance easier. Um, then we can begin to look across, um, across the board of healthcare associated infection and have really good semi-automated algorithms to say, this patient on this ward has signs and symptoms of uh, an SSI or VAP or a CLABSI or HAP. You know, we, we, can, we can do it all yeah. on the same kind of dashboard panel. And that, that I think will be quite transformative of, of the workflows that we're under in infection control. So it's been done already with SSI. Yeah. Um, in limited in limited areas, even without electronic notes, people have managed to pull in the key data like wound swabs, um, the, the the patient pathway, the details of the surgery, uh, uh, and treatment parameter antibiotic uh, parameters, and putting that together to say, yeah, this patient has a really high risk of an SSI, and it's it's very effective. It's, mm. it's sensitive and it's specific, um, and it only requires limited follow up from clinical teams. And that allows us, it frees up time to do the improvement. Yeah. I mean, uh, you, you highlighted today the burden of SSI, the burden of healthcare association pneumonia, CORTI. 
you know, Corti and HAP are the biggest groups of healthcare associated infection and SSI behind. But actually, you're saying we should do all the, the surveillance on SSI and not necessarily on HAP or, or Corti. Is that because we actually have a raft of interventions for SSI that we know work, so therefore there's more of an opportunity to use evidence-based practice because we do, still don't have a great evidence base for HAP or, or Corti, to be honest? Yeah, I think, I think that's right. And, and th- I've got a kind of lingering frustration with SSI because we have it's probably the area that we have the most evidence of impact yeah. and we have really clear guidance we know what works mm-hmm. and we can improve the process flow if we get the kind of pre-op periop post-op we know what we do we need to do well to prevent ssi um, and i think having good data to to show where we've got higher rates um, gives us that lead in to do that um, whereas as you say the the, the courty and the hap intervention bundles are a little bit less well established. Okay. Assuming you've got good data then, who are you going to give it to? So I think it wouldn't be mine. Mm-hmm. In an ideal world, absolutely, I wouldn't see it as my data. Yeah. I'd want the, the, you know, the, the clinical director of the specialty to think of it as their data. Yeah. And to say, I will share it with, with my clinic team. Yeah. Uh, we've got a problem here, folks. We need to bring in IPC to help us solve it. Yeah. Um, so that would be ideal. Hmm. The reality is probably it would be our data. Yeah. Uh, and we'd need to have those relationships where we can share it in a yeah. way that's not, you've got a big issue, yeah. you need Sort-tick to sort it out. Because yeah. then we're going to have, is that really an SSI? Yeah. It's a bit pussy. Five but is that really, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's just text your day. It's fine. It's not an SSI. Yeah. Um, there are actually people who work in theatre, for example, who actually are responsible for putting in place many of the interventions like warming yeah. and the anaesthetist for making sure people get their, if they're going to be due a, um, an antibiotic prophylactic, to make sure they get it at the right time. Yeah. And the scrub nurse who maybe wants to make sure that they've actually used the appropriate product on the wound if, if that's what the policy says. Yeah. And, and Judith Tanner and I did a piece of work a few years ago looking at a bundle yeah. and David Leeper was also involved and we actually, it was probably too many things in the bundle, there was nine elements but all of them had good evidence behind it and most people got most of the bundle but actually only one in nine got optimal evidence-based care is that right yeah i believe it actually yeah and but actually virtually none of that was down to the surgeon right they were all of the individual components were actually down to other people yeah so should they be included in this so that they see the the fruits of their labor if you like or the non-fruits of their labor they're not they're failing to warn people they're failing to oxygenate people but they wouldn't know the rates and they wouldn't know the actual impact of what they do on patients yeah it's really good so that feedback loop we know from other work is so important isn't it if we yeah. can if we can have positive and negative feedback loops yeah then it brings the whole team into the party because the temptation is just to give it to the surgeon and I, I shouldn't think he talks to the ODA or you saw the ODP or the scrub nurse or, yeah. or anybody else in theatre and yet their work really does impact on somebody further downstream and I don't think they see you know much beyond a patient's left theatre alive yeah and that's that's job done yeah but actually and they'll see some come back but they won't think actually was that because I failed to warm them yeah or because they didn't get their pre-op prophylaxis and yeah there's an interesting piece of work there to be done, I think. There is. To look at how they perceive their role in, you know, in, uh, in SSI prevention. Yeah, I agree. So, so feedback at all levels of the pathway. And it is, you know, it's a process. If we get the process right, we'll yeah. reduce the rates. Yeah. Okay. Well, John, that's been fascinating.
Uh, I know for those of you who registered on the conference, you'll be able to watch John's talk uh, in, on the equivalent of UK gold or whatever <laughs> the catch-up system is. And I'm trying to talk Jenny into making all of the, uh, the, the recordings available, freely available in six months' time if the speakers give, uh, give a feedback. But as usual to do today from you, a fascinating session, really well argued, lots of thought, and I'd love to get a bit of qualitative work in there as well. So I, I do like a sinner who repents a little bit. So. <laughs> but anyway, thanks very much for talking to me, John. Thanks, Martin. Always a pleasure. See ya.